That's right. You are listening to Windsor's Inside Pulse for the latest news, views, and opinions here in our great region of Windsor and Essex County. We remind you that the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of our co-hosts and do not necessarily reflect the views of any media outlets or any political parties or organizations. We are recording live on Tuesday, August 3rd, approximately 4.30 p.m. Please remember to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That being said, my name is Al Tashuba. I'm co-hosting remotely with Daniel Lablisser and and Dave Sundin. And we're also very pleased to be joined by a special guest. Um, hot off the press, Sandra Pupatello is, of course, the candidate, uh, again, for the federal liberals at the, uh, for the riding of Windsor West. And so, uh, you know, Sandra needs no introduction. She's, she's been uh, a staple in uh, local Windsor-Essex politics for, for years now. As you know, she's a, a longstanding former MPP from the, uh, the riding Windsor West. She held a number of cabinet positions at the provincial level and uh, was recently acclaimed as the, the federal liberal candidate for the riding Windsor West. So thank you, Sandra, for coming to talk to us here on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Thanks for having me, all three of you. It's nice to see your faces because I certainly see your posts. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, we'll start with some basic questions, Sandra. I, I assume that everyone knows who you are, but um, for those who, who may not know you for some strange reason, living under a rock, who are you and, and what do you stand for? Well, I wouldn't suppose everyone knows me because when I was last an MPP, it was literally 10 years ago, a ton of people in Windsor West weren't even in our country back then, let alone knew, would know what I was doing while, while I was their MPP. So I've really started from scratch. A lot of people moving into Windsor, Essex. So there's new people from other parts of the country, as well as new Canadians. Uh, and some people, uh, they were in grade school the last time anyone had to vote for me, right? Uh, so my last election would have been 2007. So lots has changed in Windsor West. I say to people that if you were to take a drive around Windsor West, you'd find things that, that simply appeared there because Dwight and I were ministers from this area. And I know that that kind of inside track, having your hands on the levers of government makes a huge difference for your community. And I have to tell them, we didn't have a med school. We didn't have that brand new engineering building. All those new buildings out at St. Clair College, uh, Herbray Parkway, the, you know, a simple thing like a $30 million massive tank at the front of Riverside Drive to assist with water collection during bad storms. Imagine how bad our floods would have been uh, if we didn't have those investments more than 10 years ago. So uh, there's a lot to be said for having to remind people about what did I do because they just weren't here at that time. Um, but when once people sort of remember, uh, then I say we can have that again. And you know, my big issue is that they should remember that we need to dream big. Uh, we need to go back to the days where we sit back and say, what can we be? What do we want? Not piddling around the edges like we've been doing. Talking about these small little projects seeing these tiny little announcements. I just, I long for the day that Dwight and I used to argue over which announcement are we doing this Friday? That's how life used to be here. And um, it's a different level of government with different responsibilities. And I acknowledge that. I just know if you've got the right rep, there's no stopping what we can do as a community. So with, with that, uh, and thank you for that. I think that was a great way to, to intro yourself. Um, but, uh, you know, I think you're going to ask this question quite a bit, and I, I think you've kind of already answered it in that first question. Uh, you, you ran in 2019. I was so glad to see that happen. You're running again now. So why did you decide to get back in 2019 and, and why, why you continue to, uh, to be out here um, uh, sacrificing your, your time and energy for, for the residents of Windsor West? 
Well, I will say the big, big decision was for 2019. I had to decide that 10 years of running my own company, that's enough. I've done everything I needed to do uh, and I can leave it and feel comfortable that I'm going to go, you know, in back into the public space. That was a huge decision because I, I was really enjoying the work that I was doing. Um, but ultimately 10 years of seeing virtually nothing happening. And I mean, everything that, that flowed in the first, say, five years were the remnants of doing the builds for the things that had been announced years before. Because you know how long it takes. With Greenfield especially, you've got to do the zoning and the planning and the development. But ultimately, we had the bucks in the bank ready to go. Things like the, the, the armories downtown, that project that would have been announced in about 2010. By the time you get to 2013, 14, you're seeing the fruition of those. Well, What's in the pipeline since then? And the more I would watch our community from my house in South Windsor, I would say, where's the pipeline? Where is the pipeline of what's to come? And it's not there. And that is infuriating for people like me who were right in the middle of it and knew that, that we could do this again. Uh, so that was my motivation and that hasn't changed. I feel pretty strongly. Um, the issues certainly have changed quite a bit in the last 10 years. Uh, especially for Windsor. So now with the pandemic, even more so a voice around economic development. Al, you're with me on this, I know, because we talk about the economy all the time. This is critical to the future of Windsorites, bringing people, keeping them, getting their kids jobs. I mean, is there something more important to me? The economic benefit of what's happening helps our social fabric. So they're, they're so intertwined. Uh, I want someone talking about our economy here. And, and there's and, and that voice just isn't here. So Sandra, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, I'm big on the economy and trade and manufacturing and infrastructure and big on making sure that, you know, our unique local issues are heard and advocated for. And that's actually my question here. So what person we're expecting an election this year, you know, sooner probably rather than later, we'll see. But once it starts, the, the messaging of the campaign is very important. What percentage of your campaign would you expect to be educating the people on the ineffectiveness of having Brian Massey in the NDP as fourth party representation versus the ability with your track record being someone who is in government and no one would really dispute that you as a minister in a provincial government, you were able to advocate for our issues and bring results. So what's your balancing act of educating people on the ineffectiveness of Brian Massey as fourth party NDP versus your track record. Because I got to tell you, a lot of times when Brian Massey's introduced, they're like, and from, from the federal government, here's Brian Massey. And most people don't know the difference. They're thinking, oh, he's the MPs in government, where really it makes a difference which party or where you're positioned in the House of Commons. I think you're right. I, it's not personal for me, so I never make it about the individual. I just say the NDP are the fourth placed party. So think about that. What, what hope do we have? Uh, and, and to be honest, that's why we've heard the same issues dragged out for 10 years or 20 years in some cases, because it's never landing. It's never resolved. And I keep saying, People, we need to raise the bar. You should be figuring out an urban park on the side of your desk when you're doing huge projects for the community because the urban park is not that complicated, people. And if you had individuals in the right place, you would have had it done a long time ago. And, and because we've been in the position to do it, I know the feeling of 
how you have to go and get it done. Uh, anybody can talk about it. Anybody can sort of, you know, blue sky, hey, we should all get this stuff, but who's actually delivering it? So frankly, I do tell everybody, um, but it also means that post pandemic people have to have a feeling as well that our government delivered for people when they needed it the most. So when the chips were down, people were shut out of going to work because they were all in lockdown. Within days, the government stepped forward to help. No one's going to say it was perfect, but everybody's going to say that, holy cow, we, we did a good job on that front. Because I think it's fair that everybody pulled together. There was not the divisiveness, even between the parties that you saw in places like the US made a huge difference for Canadians that we could stick together. And the Tories, the NDP, the Liberals uh, had to work together in a minority government to just make it happen for people. Um, and when I'm talking to people at the doors now, they're, they're acknowledging, you know, especially the 65 plus crowd, the ones who might have been around sort of towards the end of a, of a recession or, or depression, when they know how bad it's been historically, they were saying, you know what, uh, our government did a pretty good job because nobody knew what to do. And we were figuring it, it was like sort of building an airplane when you already took off and you're already in the sky. That's kind of the, how people equated the work that, that was ne necessary. And I think it, it went pretty well. So I am talking high level about the government, the platform. I expect that elements related to Windsor and our economy are going to be represented in the platform. And I've got a good feeling about that for reasons not needed to be said. Um, I'm expecting great things when our platform gets dropped during a campaign in the writ portion. And I'm about the economy. That's where I spent I would say the highlight of my career was as economic development and trade minister. I, I, I was coveting that position, you know? And so when I actually got it and then got to stay there for six years, I actually had that experience that could start projects, watch them develop and get finished in that, in that time that I was there, which to be honest, doesn't get to happen to most ministers because you tend to get bounced around a bit. So, um, Anyway, so yeah, I appreciate it. And Al, you know, my big question is, you should be on my team. I, I, honestly, I, I don't know why you're not. And, and Dave, Dave, you agree with me on this point. Daniel, I know you want to be uh, sort of Switzerland in all this conversation, but I followed your tweets and, you know, we're pretty aligned on this thing. Hey, I, I'm, I, big I, on, I'm big on Windsor and I'm, <laughs> I'm, my number one loyalty is what is good for Windsor, born and raised here, my kids born and raised here. And I can tell you that, I do believe we need a seat at the governing table. I don't think it's concluded yet. So we'll see how this goes, but I do know okay. for sure it won't be the NDP. So okay. we're on we're on the same side of it not being the NDP representation. How's that? Okay. Let me say, you know, Dave, when you started, I haven't told people I was born and bred in Windsor. I grew up on Ellsmore Avenue in, in Little Italy. I went to St. Angela Grade School, Kennedy High School. I've lived here my whole life. I live in South Windsor now. Um, I've had a, a really great career, 16 years as an MPP, thanks to the people of Windsor West, because I wouldn't have done it without them, obviously. And uh, now 10 years of, of a practice with my own, with my own company um, and feeling pretty confident that, you know what, I can leave it this time. In 2019, I, my contracts were making me work right till the end. And I, I really believe that I started too late. So this time I got smart about it timed it a little better so I'm actually on the road and canvassing already so hopefully I get a head start this time. So Sandra one of the questions that I think most of us expect that there's going to be an election writ within the next couple of weeks and we're looking at a September or maybe October election I think one of the questions and probably the first question of the writ period is why an election now we've got 
We're two years into this term of government. I, I think some people think that a minority government, sort of like a, a wartime cabinet has kind of worked well where you have to, uh, where you have to actually work with the other parties. And in some ways during the COVID crisis, that seems to have worked well to keep the, uh, to keep the Trudeau government maybe in check and having to respond to something other than just the Liberal caucus. So why, why an election now? And if you think that there should be a, uh, a Liberal minor, majority government, which seems to be what, uh, what uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is pushing for, why? Well, let me say this. I was a minister in a majority provincial government during minority governments, both with Martin as well as those years with the Tories. So I've lived the life of a minority government in Ottawa, and it is not the way to go. If you, Even if you don't agree with what Harper was doing at the time, if he doesn't have a, hand, a mandate, he can't even enact the things that the people actually voted him to do. And that's the position that Paul Martin found himself in with the minority. And certainly now with the Trudeau group, knowing what we could have done and in what kind of timely fashion, this whole makeup of a minority government is, oh, keeping a check on that. No, it's not actually, it's making it harder. And the timeliness of everything is, everything is slowed. When I was a minister and I was doing international trade work for Ontario, you know, not a minister was traveling because they were so busy worrying about whether the government was going to fall and they'd get called back into the house for a vote. They wouldn't even allow their ministers to travel. Can you imagine how many years we lost of selling the country because the ministers were, were married to sitting in Ottawa? And what good was that on the international investment front? It was terrible. So there I was often mistaken as the federal international trade minister, which I didn't dispute at the time, I will say, because I was there all by myself. So all to say that there are there is some work that you have to acknowledge like get the government to just do the work and instead they're tied up until all hours of the night just to pass a bloody budget i mean the people if they voted for the people to actually be in there give them the right to do the work and all i know is especially during the pandemic this, the, the help would have come sooner. It would have come in a different fashion, but you've got everybody putting their fingers in the pie. And in the end, you don't have a very nice looking pie in the end. And, and, and I actually believe that everyone says that, but the reality on the road, I lived it. And it's a government that just can't work efficiently. Um, and, that, and that's frankly what we see. Well, the, if these numbers hold true, uh, as far as polling goes right now, it looks like uh, we're on the way to a, uh, a liberal majority government if uh, elections held and these numbers hold up. Um, but whether it's minority or majority government, it looks like it's, it's in all likelihood going to be a liberal government. So um, once you're elected, Sandra, what's, what's uh, the big focus for you on day one? What, what's the first big issue you're going to focus on and tackle? Or is there a bunch of small issues you want to talk about? Well, I got to tell you, it's got to be the development of big issues because the small things are things, like I said, that should have been done a long time ago that just haven't been done. And when I asked, I had a great meeting with the mayor. And all I could do as I sat back was compare the kinds of conversations I used to have with the mayor's office. These projects were enormous. We are talking about projects of the, and it's not always about the money, I get that, but by comparison, the convention center for the casino, the casino hotel, we're talking half a billion dollars right there just in that one project alone, the Herb Gray Parkway and the tens of millions just in the prep work, let, let alone just on the road itself, right? How many of our companies fared well in our construction because of how we wrote those RFPs to make sure we were including community involvement? And today, 
every other day you see the bridge now announcing local community initiatives. Why? Because they used our language that we wrote. We wrote locally. A lot of people didn't like it at the time, but you know what? It's paying off in spades because it's now become the standard, frankly, the gold standard of how you get local community involvement in massive projects that tend to be taken over by all these big international companies that show up for the short term and then take off. That did not happen here in Windsor, and I'm proud of that. So when I look around and I see all these big companies that I know, man, they did really well in those years. Wouldn't that be nice to see that again? Uh, it, it would be nice. So I say, like, what's our big projects? Um, a pool. Seriously, that's the big, seriously, people. And that's why I say, I know those things are important for each of those communities, but we really need to step back and say, what should we be doing for the economy of tomorrow here? And how should we be playing a part in that? What can the government do? Who do we need to bring together? Government's best feature is the convener. They have the reach to convene the right people in the right room for those, for those kinds of dreams. And to be honest, that's just not happening today. And that's what I'm going to start doing right away, literally day one. So, Sandra, there was news coming out that Percy Hatfield's uh, hanging it up and he's retiring. And a lot of people were thinking maybe it's time for Brian after 19 years to retire. He's not. He's going to take another run. Uh, speculation is, you know, Kieran McKenzie might be next in line and they need to, you know, have him go. So this is a big election for Brian, because if he wins it, then it carries forward to his legacy for Kieran McKenzie. And they, it's almost like they have it all planned out, but the people still need to speak. The people still need to vote. And I really believe the ballot box question is the key turning point. What is the ballot box question going to be? And if the ballot box question is, who's the most effective or can we get more effective representation for Windsor West? And there's an education process on this of showing what the NDP are. I, I really think that this could start to change it. You were 2,000 votes away last time, and you made an impact. I think a lot of that had to do with your track record, your name recognition, but that was the biggest scare Brian's ever had. Otherwise, it's been clear sailing. In 2011, uh, Lisa Lumley got 31.5%, and there was a massive campaign of it. And his voting record against Windsor was shown to people. And there was actually focus groups that couldn't believe such a nice guy like Brian Massey voted against the funding for the bridge, voted against the auto bailout, voted against things that Windsor needed. And once they discovered that, then they were like, well, that's not right. We want our MP to stand up for Windsor. So are you going to invest the, the time and energy and part of your conversation to make that clear? Because right now, Brian's reputation gets a free ride from the media. And he does have personal choice. He doesn't always have to vote for his party. He could take a risk and say, well, I'm not going to vote for my party in this issue because I'm more loyal to Windsor. But that has never happened. So are you going to assist in showing that to give people who are, I don't want to say brainwashed, but they're loyal to voting all the time the same way, thinking they're doing good for Windsor, whereas really they're not? Well, I am starting earlier. So to your point, I've got a lot of work to do to talk to everybody. And it was 1800 votes. And I knew that I know, I know this time I need to move 901 votes from his column to my column. And I'm in search and I'm starting early. 
and I'm very determined. And I really am trying to tell people that story because it isn't personal. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether you like somebody, you don't like somebody. This is about our community and what difference we can make. Um, politics is a rough game. So I applaud everybody who wants to be in it. I've served for 16 years in elected office and I've got the list that proves what that means to my town. Uh, and I got to compare those lists for people. So it is my job to get out there, make sure they know this is what happens when you've got somebody with a strong voice versus when the parade is already going down the road and then somebody runs to get in front of the parade. That drives me crazy. I mean, I hate people taking credit for stuff they didn't have anything to do with. Uh, you know, like you can't take that Italian Windsor right out of me because that stuff really ticks me off. So, you know, I, and unfortunately I watched all- Brian never misses a photo op. Never misses a photo. You know, I resent people taking credit for stuff they had nothing to do with. Exactly. As a minister at the time that we were doing it, you clearly, I would have known who was involved, right? So, uh, but you know what, like I said, it's not personal, it's my work to do. I've got a campaign team that is getting amassed right now that our job is to make sure people know. Uh, like if you go any major road down this community, what would it have been like if we'd have left the NDP to fester in this area at every level of government? The Humane Society, double in size. Let's go all the way down Walker Road at the underpass at Chrysler, that beautiful underpass now that doesn't stop traffic every five minutes. I used to ride my bike there to go work at the McDonald's on, on uh, Drewlard and just about get hit by transports every five minutes when I was a kid. It's beautiful, smooth sailing down there. That was our government doing that. You know, just keep going. The bailouts for Chrysler, the bailouts for GM and all those companies that serve those plants. And what about Essex Engine? You know, it's the only Ford plant that Ford reversed their decision to close because we got involved and got funding for them. I worked with Joe Honricks from Ford to make that reversal happen. I just need to remind people that those things today continue to serve and give us jobs because of the work we did. That wasn't platform. That was stuff we had to dig up because we had to respond to what we faced at the time. A strong voice can do that. Um, You're talking about the 2009 auto bailout. I think at the time the NDP called it corporate welfare instead of thinking beyond their noses because the Liberals and the Conservatives voted in favor. And so what are you talking about corporate welfare? They've got one foot in the grave. If we don't help them, we're going to lose the jobs. And that, that's the mentality thinking, thinking that the businesses are the enemy and it's not. And meanwhile, they want to protect the job, but you have to get the jobs from the private sector. And I really think Windsor needs an education this election. So between you, Anthony Orlando, I think the Green Party, there needs to be an education that if you're voting NDP and you think you're doing good for Windsor, you are not. Well, and I hope I like to go to a lot of people that work at those places and know that the NDP were not with us on those bailouts. They were not with us on Essex Engine Plant. Uh, you know, and it's stunning to me that those members who belong to Unifor, who take a position against me in Windsor West, makes no sense to me. And these are individuals I worked with them in those bailouts. We worked together to save the Ford plan, and it was a joy to do it. Um, so I just, you know, I have to remind people what matters. And there are lots of social issues that matter to our community right now. Homelessness, we can all see that is a big issue. Housing is critical. We just had the minister coming into town. Uh, did he give us enough money? Not enough. Do we need more? Yes, we do. Who's going to get more? Uh, like, like somebody's got to go get us more stuff for these issues. Um, but you know, right, what I said at the start, which is great economic policy for us makes great social policy for our community too.
So I think Al covered a bit of what I wanted to ask you, but I, I mean, it's been 59 years since a, an incumbent was voted out in this riding. We've changed the name of the riding more time than we've, than we've thrown out the incumbent. So you said that you're, you're, uh, that one of the differences is you've started earlier this time. You're not sort of getting that nomination done the, uh, the day the writ is dropping or the week, uh, the week the writ is dropping. But anything else beyond that that you think is going to help you make up that 1800 vote gap? Yeah, definitely. I'm actually telling a story in a different way to be very specific about the things that I used to do. And because I spent so much time last time in the nomination process, so we had a woman come down from Kitchener who by the date of the nomination showed up with 30 memberships. And the result of that, I sold a thousand in a week and could not get them to call a, a meeting sooner. And that whole month that I could have been the candidate in canvassing and meeting voters, I lost that. So this time, thankfully, the party, the people, everyone's been wonderful. I'm already the candidate. I'm already at the door. And I am already talking to those who never lived here before. They just moved into Windsor. They're new immigrants. So really, I'm meeting them for the first time. And I have to get everywhere. Uh, last time, I just didn't have enough days to do that. I'm pretty determined to do that this time. So that, that's the big one. Tell my story in a way that they understand what this city would look like if we hadn't been there. I mean, imagine we just we had a story in the paper last week about how our, our, our angioplasty unit got flooded in the rain. Do you know it didn't even exist before we were the government in Ontario? That wasn't in a platform. That was me responding to how many Windsor people were on a London list for basic stent work in their heart. That doesn't happen anymore. They're on our own list because we brought an angioplasty program to Windsor. And I'll tell you, they said that was never gonna happen. Oh, we don't have the capability to do that, which is BS, frankly, and we have it. And I am still delighted to this day when I hear stories about how they went in in the morning and they're home by the afternoon in their own hometown by our own cardiologists. Those are the things people need to know. It's about just setting your mind to doing it and, and finding a way to get it done. So we know you have to get out campaigning because we don't quite know when this, maybe you'll break some news with when the election is going to be, but we know it's going to be soon. So we, we, we have to let you go to get out campaigning in, in the evening. But, but before we let you go, anything else you want to share with our listeners? How do people, what's your website? How do people get in contact with you if they want to uh, come help with your campaign or have a question for you? Uh, what final message for our listeners? Well, thanks, Daniel. I appreciate that. Our phone number for the campaign is 984-3036. So that should be easy to remember. It's a 519 number, 984-3036. The email, if you want to send us a note, is Sandra4, the number four, Windsor at gmail.com. Sandra4Windsor at gmail.com. And um, everything else is working out nicely. We're lining up our volunteers now. We're taking lots of new volunteers and people who, when they saw how close it was last time, they came back this time and said, I'm not getting away without helping this time. It was just too close and I should have come out and done more. So I hope that's the reaction by a lot of people who might've thought it was gonna be a cakewalk last time. And I certainly knew we were up against it. And I know that we are again today. Um, and anybody out there who wants to help me, I would love to have them because it matters in the end. That one vote's gonna make a difference. And uh, you might be one of that 901 that I need to move from one column to another. So uh, I I'd really appreciate the help. Thanks for the time, everybody. Great to see you. Thank well, you, that, Sandra, great to see you. 
with that said, we want to thank Sandra Pupatello for joining us. We have to let her go to get out on the campaign trail. I think last time this election was talked about as the uh, immovable object versus the unstoppable force. This is going to be round two, and we know she's she's got work to do. So thank you, Sandra, for joining us. I've been working out since then. There, there we go. So uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to let you go and... Uh, on the I'm, we're going to take our break and on the other side of the break maybe uh, we will uh, the, the regular panel will talk about this uh, upcoming election and uh, and get, and some discussion on that but thanks again Sandra so welcome back to the second half of Winston Inside Pulse thanks again to Sandra for joining us for the first half uh, certainly interesting to talk with Sandra about uh, her plans and what she she plans to do um, we've now interviewed uh, two of the four um, potential candidates uh, for the national parties for Windsor West and look forward to getting the other two on in the uh, the near future hopefully. Um, so, you know, after Sanders' interview there, I think the, it's the logical lead-in to discuss um, whether or not and when the uh, upcoming, upcoming federal election will be held. Um, so we had uh, certainly big news for Windsor West this past week was, was Sander announcing that she is uh, going to be the candidate again, um, or I guess more fairly, the Liberal Party announcing that Sander will be the, the, uh, the candidate again for the riding Windsor West for Liberals, uh, but also, um, you know, it's, I thought one of the more interesting pieces was by Ann Jarvis talking about whether or not now is the time for an election and how there's there's no business, uh, the PM has no business calling election during precarious period in pandemic. And, um, you know, so so let's start with that, that article maybe. Is this a proper time to uh, have a, an election? And, and Daniel, why don't we go to you first? Yeah, so first off, I mean, I, th I think that an election is going to be called soon. I think it's either going to be uh, Monday, September 13th, maybe uh, Monday, September 20th so it's coming soon whether or not it's the proper time for an election i think that's for the voters to decide i think that that is the first question that's going to be raised um in the election i though think that i mean if i were the liberals i would not be so giddy for an election a lot crazy things happen during a rip period i mean i'm old enough to remember in 2015 when the uh, the liberals came in trending in third so crazy things happen I mean, my very early views on this election are that I think that the Liberals might have challenges with the normal message that a vote for the NDP is a vote for the Conservatives. It's hard to tell people to vote strategically or that this election is so important that we have to have an election when you forced an election on when this uh, when this government had two years left in its uh, election mandate and there wasn't a non-confidence vote. So I, I could see sort of a dead heat between the parties with the NDP trending up and the Liberals maybe trending down a bit. I do think that the other piece, though, I think the Conservatives are going to get hurt a lot more this election by the uh, by the PPC or other sort of right-wing fringe local candidates uh, with some anger towards Conservative governments uh, tied into the lockdowns that have happened provincially. So those are the things to watch. I, I think that the first question of the election, though, definitely is going to be why now. I think Sandra gave a good answer on that, but I think that the opposing answer is liberals, you just don't want to be accountable to anybody. And why should we give you that mandate? So certainly going to be interesting to watch. Al? I've said for a while, I, it almost feels like Justin Trudeau actually has a majority government because anything he's wanted, the NDP or another party has been there to back him up. So what has not been passed by the liberal desired mandate or agenda? Everything they wanted has been right there with very little resistance. So the argument of why we need an election, I just don't see it. I know when Harper had his minority, um, it wasn't necessarily orchestrated, but it kind of was the time was right. Nobody really disputed. And two days later, they're talking about the issues. 
And then I remember at the time it was like collusion. If you remember, it was like the three parties colluding with the Bloc Quebecois and then that got his majority. You know, Canadians generally don't want an election, but they definitely don't want it uh, in cold seasons. So if it is going to happen, it's going to happen before it gets winter. And also because of the pandemic, it can't be like lockdown and then have an election. So right now it's opening up. So if it were to happen, I agree with you, Daniel, if it were to happen, it'll be happening within the next month being called. And then that'll fit at least the timeline going back to the house, going back to Ottawa and the House of Commons reopening. So if it were to happen, it'll happen soon. Otherwise, the other uh, stop dead date is there's a provincial election in June of 2022. So it can't happen after that. So then that would lead like March. So it, it's now or March, but that's about it. And I think most indicators are right now. But the one thing that will stop it is if the polls do not favor the Trudeau government to have an election. If the polls go sideways, or like you're saying, the NDP goes up, liberals go down, and if they're realizing that they can't get a majority, what's the point? And they're not going to do much better than the minority they have now, then what's the point? Why give up leverage or power in that capacity? Yeah, I, I think that the one calculation is that this is probably in the next two years, the best time for the liberals to have an election. Uh, the farther you get into that sort of eight-year mandate, the more likely it is the pendulum starts to swing back. We now have a population that is largely vaccinated. The pandemic is somewhat under control. So it's probably the best shot right now for the Liberals to have an election. But if you're, a, if you're an MP that is in sort of a swing riding, things could go sideways very quickly during a rip period. So as I said, I would not be so giddy for an election, even though this might be your best time in the next two years to have an election. And if I may comment just about the Conservatives with the uh, People's Party, I know not too many conservatives speak about it. I do. I was very, very upset. I was a big advocate way back in 2003 about uniting the right with the Canadian Alliance and at the time Peter McKay's PC party. And I was like, we got to unite the right. We got to get every conservative here. I was not a fan of allowing, I don't say allowing, but letting the, the atmosphere be such that Maxine Bernier felt he had to leave and start his own party. That should not have happened. But regardless, it did happen. I would like to see either that party fold and everybody come back to the nice big blue conservative tent or some way of some amicable arrangement because there was six MPs, possibly, possibly seven, uh, that were affected in the last election that would have voted conservative. All those PPC votes would have went to the conservatives. And I'm worried that that will either stay constant or grow. So it is, it is an issue, Daniel. It is something that to be looked upon. Um, Aaron O'Toole is such a great uh, leader that will welcome everybody in. Maybe there could be some deal done. I don't know. Yeah, so I, I think it is a, uh, a, a dangerous thing for the, the uh, Liberals to call a, an early election. I thought that they would wait until the House resumes sitting, find some um, issue to fall on and blame the you know Conservatives or the NDP for their the government falling when it didn't need to fall, point the finger at them. So this is a bit dangerous to, to pull the trigger themselves. Um, that being said, you know, given the fact that there's predictions by experts of a fourth Delta um, variant driven wave in October, November, perhaps they want to get out of the way now, not wait until you know, later in the fall um, when that could be a, a concern. Just get it done now while it's still warm and nice out. Um, so, but, but it is certainly a double-edged sword. As far as PPC goes, I just, uh, I drove back, I was in uh, Haldeman County last Thursday and Friday, drove back along Highway 3, 
And I was shocked at the number of PPC election signs that are already up and out. I'm not sure if it's permitted or not. They weren't Canada's names. It was just uh, People's Party of Canada, purple signs on farmers' fields as I drove along Highway 3. And I was a bit surprised by that. And the question I would have is, are those all people that would have otherwise vote conservative? Is it made up of, of conservatives and those that don't traditionally vote who are just so upset about the lockdowns and the way that, that they feel that Doug Ford, rightly or wrongly, has mishandled the um, uh, the role that a pandemic response in Ontario they're taking on the federal conservatives? I don't know, but the PPC seems to be um, quite visible in a number of areas of, um, of southwestern Ontario. So again, I drove through, I don't know, four counties on my way um, back uh, to Windsor along Highway 3, uh, and I was surprised at the number of PPC signs out there. There, there was nothing else out there as far as political advertising, but but PPC purple signs dotting the landscape. So I was a bit surprised by that. And it normally wouldn't matter in a European election or any type of coalition type of parliamentarian system where it's proportional representation. But we are a first past the post type of parliamentary system where it matters. I mean, if you don't win, you get nothing. And it doesn't matter that if the PPC gains 4% of the population, they will not have 4% of the seats of the House of Commons. But the, what they will do is take away the possibility of, of traditionally the conservative votes. It's, it's that dangerous. It's, it, you know, I've, part of me has been a fan of proportional representation to actually have a greater reflection. And I follow Israeli politics and other European politics where, where there's like horse trading and coalitions uh, within the system. Uh, Daniel Smile, I don't know if you follow it as well. It's, it's, I, I follow Israeli politics too. That's exactly why I don't want proportional no, representation. No, Israeli politics is crazy because they got 13 parties, but we're talking about keeping it within five or six. But at, at the end of the day, the, the PPC, I think, is one of the most underrated threats to the conservative, uh, and it was statistically pointed out with six or seven MPs. We'll see what happens. I mean, Maxine Bernie doesn't have his seat right now. Maybe it'll fade away. We'll see what happens. Maybe Aaron O'Toole broaden his tent out. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, the provincial election. People are upset about provincial. They, you know, they'll have their chance in June. But uh, what's not to say that if there was a, a more left-leaning provincial government, that any type of lockdown would have been more severe. So you can't really can't really say that. Uh, as far as the election itself, I agree with what Dave said, that calling an election yourself is dangerous. It, they may open up the House of Commons, have an issue, and then blame it on the opposition. So, um, and one of the big signs that there's going to be an election in the near future, obviously, is all the funding announcements we're hearing. It's not just uh, when the rest of the right across the country, there's ministers um, plopping down into various cities and saying, hey, we've got money. Um, that's always a, a, a good sign that election is, is on its way. And so locally in Windsor, uh, local MP Eric Kuzmerich got the, uh, I guess, the pleasure and privilege of announcing some some uh, small funding announcements. Um, and by, by small, I mean in the millions of dollars, not the not the tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but the the stories are certainly interesting, and and I think it's it's things that um, help reinforce um, Eric's strengths, um, what he wants to play to make this election. And so the the one funding announcement was a million dollars towards capital funding projects for the uh, the Windsor Airport. Uh, obviously, the airport was in the news, um, and and I think Eric did a great job of of uh, defending uh, the loss of um, uh, the the uh, air control tower. Um, did a great job with that, but but I think someone that got lost with uh, the NDP trying to claim that that was their victory. Um, so so Eric did that, got a million dollar funding announcement, so he could again trumpet that accomplishment that that he had. And the second, obviously, is something that's been big in Windsor for a while, uh, big topic of this show, which is affordable housing. And so we had um, 
we, we had uh, IREC announcing alongside um, uh, the Minister Ahmad Hussain um, funding of $9.3 million for affordable housing music, units in Windsor, Essex. So again, uh, two, two big news stories for IREC in the past week uh, as, as far as what he can do to deliver funds to Windsor for the what it needs. Anyone want to weigh Regardless of political stripes, I love it when the money comes to Windsor. That's so. any branch of government, any party. If you're bringing money to Windsor, our region, I'm, I'm good yeah, I think that, I think that there was a third announcement today after we did our show outline. I think an announcement in Fort City about some community center money. I think that the interesting thing to watch is, you know, Sandra's talking points, as we just saw, is there's not enough money coming home, and Eric and Eric's talking point has to be, look at all the bacon that I brought home to Windsor. So, uh, so, so kind of interesting uh, how, how you balance this. Uh, well, no, but I think Sandra's message is there hasn't been money brought into Windsor over the decades of Brian Massey until. The there was a liberal Eric Kuzmerzik that was an MP in government, so it, it's not hypocritical. Well, it's, they're going to have to they're going to have to balance that message out, um, or it flows back to that, uh, yeah, that it, a year and a half funding, ago with that pitbull and poodle. Uh, all, all the funding is on Eric's side of the uh, the, the the boundary between Windsor to Cups. Yeah, it's like Windsor to Cups. <laughs> You know, Sandra would love to be part of those photo ops, as any candidate would, but you have to draw a very firm line. If it's a government announcement, you can't make it political. And I remember when, when Jeff Watson was bringing money into Windsor through the Harper government, no candidate, no riding association. It can't be conservative. It has to be the MP bringing for Windsor, and that that's totally separate. So, you know, it's... it's uh, it certainly could, and people need to recognize you bring money into Windsor, you're, you're entitled to the photo op, you're entitled to the, the kudos, and you could put it on your own campaign literature for sure, but it can't be a campaign event when you bring federal government money to the region. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of higher levels of government in Windsor Tecumseh, there's some big news locally in Windsor Tecumseh provincially. I'll take us into that story. Well, provincially, it's it's the retirement of Percy Hatfield. I got to say, it's probably the it was uh, you know everybody knew it. It was it wasn't official, but at the end of the day, people knew that Percy was going to retire. Um, and but he made it official, and I, and he made it official with enough time to allow the NDP to have their process for somebody to put their name forward and have a nomination night and to you know sell their NDP memberships to become the candidate of Windsor Tecumseh. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the gravitas of Percy Hatfield's uh, name recognition on his own surpasses the value of the NDP overall. Uh, I remember when I was knocking on doors with Rob Derbitai, who was the PC candidates out in uh, in Windsor Tecumseh, like 10 years ago or so, people were like, I'm voting for Percy. You mean the NDP? I, I don't know. Percy. They just know Percy. To have that type of personal connection, the guy was in your living room at CBC for the longest time, smiling, mustache, friendly guy. Everybody loves Percy. I like Percy. I mean, how can you not? So they're voting for Percy Hatfield, first and foremost, and then just happens to be part of the NDP. So this, whoever's running for the NDP, if they think they're riding on Percy's coattails, unless you look like him and grow a mustache and change your name, you are not Percy Hatfield. Okay, You do not have that same level of trust and respect and friendliness and care. So you may, you know, you'll get the, you'll get the, the signs, you'll get the, the writing information, the voter ID, you'll get everything the campaign has a legacy of data from one campaign to the next, but you're not a Percy Hatfield. 
and you'll you'll get a reasonable shot. And Daniel, I think you have some ideas who might this candidate be. But uh, I think in all aspects right now, because it's already been announced, Andrew Dowie, the PC candidate uh, in Windsor, Tecumseh, I think has now tripled his chances uh, with an early announcement for Percy, because people right now, they're thinking, well, who can replace Percy? Well, we trust Andrew Dowie. He's a current counselor. Uh, he also has very good name recognition, very well liked, uh, very well respected, very well educated. So I think you know that's their choice. But we'll see what happens. We'll see who the liberals announce. We'll see who uh, who replaces Percy. Yeah, I think you're right, Al. It was more um, a Percy versus uh, an NDP strength that won that that riding. Um, and Winston Cumsey, I think, has been a bit blessed as far as NDP candidates go. That they found people that are are liked uh, across uh, party lines. So first they had Joe Comartin, federal level, who I think won not because he was NDP, because he was Joe Comartin. Um, you, you know, that's someone who becomes deputy speaker of the house because his fellow parliamentarians across political um, lines say, we like this guy, we respect this guy, we want him to be the deputy speaker uh, of the house. So, you know, there, there's things like that uh, as far as Joe went. I think this, the same is true of Percy. I've heard from liberals that if Percy were to call you know, Premier Wynn, I'm not sure if the same is true with, with Premier Ford now, but if Percy called Premier Wynn and said, hey, I need to talk to you, she would take his phone call, whereas she may not take Lisa Gretzky's phone call, Trath Matashak's phone call, she would take Percy's um, because she respected him and liked him and he was respectful and, and uh, towards her. Um, and, and so I, I think that matters. Um, the fact that that uh, local MP or MPP can take their partisan hat off and just be a, an all around good person and advocate for the community pays off in the end. So, uh, you know, Percy's done an excellent uh, a job of, of being liked across party lines. I still remember going to uh, Mayor Dilkin's campaign launch. Uh, you, you know, you figured it'd all be all conservatives there. And there's Percy sitting there saying, yeah, I support this guy for mayor, even though he's completely different political views than I have, I think he'll do a good job. So, so let's- That's actually the point I was trying to make with regards to Brian. You should have your loyalty to Windsor and the advocacy what's good for Windsor over your own party. I believe Percy has that. Yeah. If there was a time in which there was a vote and Percy would be strong enough to say, I'm going to vote for what's good for Windsor, even if it went against his own party. Brian has never shown that, never, ever. And he's had opportunities beyond belief to vote in a certain way over his party. And no, he doesn't. He just pretends he does. And that's the difference. Percy's a man of character that's uh, you know, truly commendable. His uh, CBC record, his record uh, as, as MPP, truly caring for the community. Nice guy respect from everybody. So Daniel, yeah. who do you think is going to going to step into or try to step into Percy's shoes on the NDP side? Well, I agree to some extent with what you guys are saying, but look, this is a very ripe seat for any ambitious member of the NDP. Anytime that you have a retiring member of a party, that is a ripe seat. I mean, it was a ripe seat when uh when Cheryl Hardcastle um when Cheryl Hardcastle won the seat um, six years back or whatever. So look, let me, th let me throw some names at you. I, I think that the, the two people that would have the best chance of holding the seat for the NDP would be either Noah Tepperman or Kathy Cook. Noah Tepperman has been a longtime NDP ad uh, activist in that riding. He's always sort of said he likes to work behind the scenes rather than being the candidate. But obviously that is a big name with the family name and the Tepperman's furniture chain. Kathy Cook as well. She's a school board trustee, Dave Cook's sister. I don't know where she aligns politically. There's been some talk that she's more liberal than NDP, but I think both of those, because of their name recognition, would, uh, you know, would probably have the best chance of holding the seat. I think that, you know, there will be a question as to whether or not Kieran McKenzie wants to take his shot 
um, out there. He represents Ward 9 locally. All of his residents are in Windsor West, but Ward 9 does actually stretch into Windsor Tecumseh. Certainly, Kieran is ambitious, and if he sees that as his chance to step up to the next level, he may take a shot at it. Final name I'll throw out there that I've been hearing some whispers about is Irene Moore Davis, local uh, local Black historian. She's uh, becoming more prominent in the community. I'm not actually sure where she lives. I've, I've seen her tied into some things out in uh, out in Essex as well, but that might be another name. Um, I, I know that Percy was talking about you know have, having um, having more diversity in the uh, in the position. I think that that would be a harmful to somebody like Kieran. Kieran uh, certainly does not add uh, diversity from white male uh, Percy Hatfield, but somebody like Irene Moore Davis um, might be the type of candidate that is uh, that they're looking for. And I, I think that she would be a strong candidate, but certainly not the name recognition of Percy Hatfield or the others. So there are some names. Any other names from you guys? Yeah. I, uh, could we I, talk about the names you mentioned? Fire away. Okay, so Noah Tepperman, nice guy, loyal to Windsor, very nice family good business people. I just don't see third generation Noah Tepperman that you hear on the radio suddenly becoming uh, an MPP. It'd be a pay cut and I think it would not be needed. But again, I understand where he's at. He's kind of behind the scenes as I am. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't know the extent in which Tepperman's, which is a Windsor West extending out further. It's interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's an interesting idea for me. And, and I can go through the list. I mean, Dave Cook, very nice guy, his wife, sure. The other people you mentioned, they might put their hat in the ring, but I could see Cheryl Hardcastle, who was an elected official, uh, going back in provincially. It's still called NDP, whether it's you know provincial or federal, and then running again provincially, like just going back and forth, running federally, running provincially until you know Taras went back and forth till, till he nailed one. So I, I think Cheryl's got the, the signs, the campaign team, the name recognition that it might be best for her with the greatest, greatest shot. Well, if, if Cheryl calls up a, a sticker company and says, I need you to just print 20,000 peas, orange peas, then we'll know that she's uh, interested <laughs> in running for that. True enough. So uh, yeah, if, if Cheryl doesn't, um, isn't successful uh, in defeating Eric in the federal election, I think that's likely where she's gonna try to, to end up is running in Percy's seat. Um, otherwise, I think that, you know, other than the list that Daniel's thrown out there, perhaps some of any union leadership position might be interested. I wonder what, you know, Ken Sr. or Ken Jr. is up to these days and whether or not, because um, there's been rumblings of them even thinking about city council again. Um, Ken Jr., as you know, lost to Ed Sleeman a number of years ago. Ken Sr. was kicking the tires in, uh, in Ward 7, as I recall. Um, so I'm curious whether or not uh, one of them might be interested in running for the NDP in Windsor County provincially or whether there's some other union leader I, I've even thought of who's who's interested in in taking that next step from union leadership to uh, to elected uh, parliamentarian. Yeah, I, I think interesting is going to be, is Percy going to endorse somebody prior to the nomination? That's key. Like afterwards, he'll shake hands and say, okay, congratulations. But will Percy endorse somebody as a uh, candidate, a nominee candidate, a nominee uh, prior to them winning the membership vote on a nomination night? Or will he just sit back and say, I'm going to stay neutral? That, that'd be interesting to see, because whoever he endorses will jump to the top of the list. Yeah, Dave, I think that you're right with uh, either of the Lowenzas or another union name would be a big name. I, I don't expect Percy to, uh, to publicly endorse a candidate, although there might be some behind the scenes um, 
behind the scenes work with who his preferred candidate is. So uh, certainly something that we're going to be watching in the coming probably four, probably as soon as we're done the federal election, we'll be talking about that one again. But, but Daniel, behind the scenes on an internal party nomination is just as good as in front. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Because like that's, that's your whole membership list. That's like doing the calls. or So it's, that'll be the winner. You know, that'll be boosting that candidate. Well, and, and it might more be leaning on somebody to get out of the way because this is the person who uh, who we want. Yeah. To well, usually somebody as popular as, as a Percy Hatfield usually gets to have a big say in their in their predecessor. So we'll see. Yeah. So uh, so so moving on, we've now covered a whole bunch of federal and provincial election news. We're going to come into some local stories. We covered this two weeks ago, and it's the story that won't seem to go away. We covered the anti-racism initiative at City Hall that the city council voted to award to the multicultural council on a uh, sole source contract. There was a lot of controversy out of that. The MCC came uh, has now said no. Well, this is this potato has gotten way too hot, and we are backing out of it. So we're back kind of to square one with that. Um, I think the mayor was asked, I think by CBC, what's going on with this now? And he says, well, we're kind of back to the drawing board. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that the MCC has pulled out of this, but I certainly understand why. Um, I, I do think that there were certain pe people that took this, and, and I don't, I don't even mean the. Uh, the Black Council of Windsor, but I think that there are certain people politically that saw this as an opportunity to create sort of a bit of a mess for the mayor's office uh, and so dissent in the community. And I think that that's unfortunate. But as I said two weeks ago, I thought the big flaw in this overall was that this should have been done as some, of, some sort of an RFP process. And I guess now in a roundabout way, we're probably back to that. So there probably will be a, a, an RFP. It will be a interesting to see how that goes but the big update then this week is that the MCC has pulled out of, of administering the anti-racism initiative so uh Dave I'll, you're a city hall watcher I'll come to you first what do you think of uh what's been going on here is, is this sort of like uh no good deed goes unpunished from the mayor's office putting this into the budget and now having a a mess on on his hands yeah, I, I, I think it is. And I, I think you, you're you probably right. Someone saw an opportunity to make a, a bit of a mess for the mayor's office trying, trying to do the right thing. And, and, and um, to be fair, maybe not rolled out as well as it should have been, and maybe not um, handled uh, as far as consultations go as, as well as they should be. And, and the one comment um, I saw online recently was someone saying, hey, listen, we've had the same experience on a completely separate topic than, than the anti-racism initiative. Um, you know, where the city said they consulted with us, they, they called us, we had a five minute conversation, they said that was consultation. It, it wasn't. And so the question becomes, you know, whether or not the complaints um, led by some were valid, which is we weren't properly consulted. They reached out, they, they, they touched us and said, there, we consulted you, um, see you later. Um, and so there might have been some valid concerns raised by some. I think it truly is unfortunate though the MCC felt the need to back out of it because of the organizations in, in Windsor-Essex, I think it's the only organization that's capable of, of dealing with this at a local level. Otherwise, you have to go find some consultant from, from you know, uh, one of the big urban centers to try to help us with this initiative later. And I think the MCC was the best position to actually handle it. it it's really unfortunate it came to that. And I wish that people could have um, quickly ironed out the differences, stood the matter down, gone and had for their consultation and roll it out right rather than make it the, the political football it, it became because it, it shouldn't have gotten to that point. Al, any thoughts on this? I agree with both you guys. And the mayor always is looking to try to do the right thing. 
And I think people see that, that, you know, he, he's got, has the best attentions on this one here and we'll see how it finally plays. So, uh, yeah, I, I think just a final thought on this is that, um, you, you know, I, I do think that there is some that want to just sort of sow dissent here. And I, and I kind of said that, and I think that that's unfortunate politically. I think ultimately the question for the city is, do they want this money to go and hit people like at the grassroots level to be used for things like scholarships, to be used for things like education, or do they want to pay $200,000 for a glossy report telling us what we can do about rate, like identifying racism in the community. And, and I think that's the big difference. And there's, there's some people politically that would like that glossy report telling us how awful everything is, because for the people who say, you know, we need change, they want to show, hey, everything's awful. And, and I, I think that it does make sense to me to try to actually use this money on, on the, you know, ground level to actually get it out to the community rather than just a report saying, you know, Here's how awful everything is. So uh, with that said, uh, we'll move on to a couple good news stories of the week to close out. So Al, tell us about the downtown news. So if you remember when Larry Horowitz was talking about how do we improve downtown, and this is back in the day when he was chair of the downtown BIA and there was these massage parlors and he's like, what is going on? This is, and people are like, what do you need from Windsor? What do you need to be downtown? And he was like, number one, we need University of Windsor or St. Clair College, and we need people, we need residents. And then he said, we need grocery stores, we need a bakery, we need stuff that people can go out and shop in this. And it was the whole different image because we're looking at grocery stores and like driving to a big grocery store instead of these small boutiques. Now, if you go way back, and this is before you guys were both born, I was just a little kid myself. There used to be Steinberg's downtown. I remember being like a little kid, my mom would go to Steinberg's downtown. And then of course, before Caesars Windsor and Casino Windsor was there, there was the actual market. So the idea of people going to buy food downtown is a big turning point. And that's what this story is about. This is Windsor getting its grocery store. It's called Laverne's, uh, La Verne's, not like Laverne, like Laverne and Shirley. Uh, but they're opening, you know, beautiful grocery store. And actually, there's a small boutique grocery store, uh, DeMarco's, and that's doing very well, very popular in South Windsor. Uh, that used to have the N&D. So it's like at least it's not grand size, but at least it's, it's out of proportional size. I think this is a great news, good story. Uh, Daniel, your, your comments on why you laughing. Yeah, no, I think that I popped in there today. You know, it's, it's a nice, it looks nice. It's a nice small grocery store. I mean, I think that this will be great for the people living downtown who want to pop downstairs, you know, walk a block and get, you know, a pasta sauce and some, you know, some noodles. It is a, uh, it is a bit more expensive than going to one of the big box groceries and but it you know it was beautiful in there nice and clean um so it, it is nice to have that down here and uh you know this is an investment from burn i think it's missile chuck i might be pronouncing that name wrong but uh he of course owns the paul martin house he owns better made cabinets he owns uh i think something on erie street or ottawa street or maybe both I've heard that he might have another investment investment coming to the downtown. So look, anytime that those people are investing in the downtown, it's, it's a good canary in the coal mine. And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what else, uh, you know, Vern has now, Laverne's, he's got, um, he's got vernacular. So we'll, we'll see what other uh, uh, cute plays on the name Vern he can come up with, but congratulations to him for uh, taking this dive, Dave. And this, this is a sign that, that there's finally um, residents going back to live in the downtown w without residents living down here, um, you know, that would never take off. And, and this has been um, 
a good business model in other big cities uh, throughout Canada before like, you, you go to Toronto and you see this quite a bit where there's a, a small neighborhood grocery store and then nine or 10 floors above it are, are residential units that frequent that grocery store. So it, it seems like a, like a great idea. I hope it, uh, it takes off. I hope it's successful for, for Vern and for the downtown core to finally have a, um, a boutique grocery store to go to. Um, you know, the, the article talking about uh, Laverne's being launched was was basically, yeah, you've got the food basics over on Goyo, but that's a bit of a hike uh, away from the, the true downtown core. It's outside the true downtown core and um, and a different experience, obviously, than, than shopping at Laverne. So it's two blocks from my office. I plan to check it out later this week. I'm going to pop in there and see what they've got and, and what's available uh, to, to purchase. And uh, good luck to, to Vern on this investment. And, and if you don't want to go and buy groceries, you can get yourself a proper picnic because the last story of the week is a story from CBC. Sienna Usaletti, I hope I'm pronouncing both her first and her last name right. I think I'm pronouncing the last name right, is the founder of a company called Proper Picnics. And they put on, they sell packages for picnics. So I guess this is something that came up during the pandemic and you can order a picnic with all the fixings from them and they range anywhere from uh, $200 to for large gathering picnics, uh, up to $1,000, I think that she said, for these large uh, picnics where they'll bring you all the all the trimmings and all the fixings and you can have a big party in a park somewhere. So uh, congratulations and best of luck to her. We'll share that article in our news feed. And uh, with that said, unless anybody else has any comments, we will once again, thank you for joining us on Windsor's Inside Pulse. Thank you to Windsor West federal liberal candidate, Sandra Pupatello for joining us. Please remember to like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay safe everyone and have a great week.